Eight games, 24 points and lots of twists and turns to come. This is the final countdown of Norwich City's championship season and it, it can be quite a bumpy ride. Let's see how it transpires. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. I'm Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt. Uh, we've obviously had a little bit of a, a stock take given that we've, we've gotten it all. We're currently in an international break coming through the the other side of it but we've still got plenty to discuss on the show we'll obviously be looking ahead to Norwich City's final eight games we've got a little bit of uh, audio to bring you from Tony Springett who I went to watch in inverted commas uh, <laughs> for Derby against Peterborough on Saturday um, uh, and I've got a few little anecdotes to, to share around that and we'll also be taking a look at a wider part of the next generation of Norwich City players coming through in light of obviously the news around highly rated youngster Alex Matos who looks poised to complete a move to Chelsea so it may be quiet in terms of games Paddy but it's certainly not been a quiet international break how are you how are you finding things uh, not too bad Connor just saying off air wasn't we that uh a boring bit of work chat for anybody who's listening or maybe watching this, but uh, it's always a challenge when you've got essentially a two-week span in between games from a from a content point of view. But by this stage, you, you're a little bit on fumes in terms of uh, trying to find content. But it does, hasn't felt like that, I don't think. Um, and we would, as you touched on already, uh, you know the Matos story. We we had the the touch point with Spring it. Um, the usual sort of cycle of guys who've gone off and, and played for their countries and done some media. So, yeah, all in all, we even throw in another line out of Turkey today, in fact, um, around Mila Rashica and where his future may lie. Um, yeah, hasn't hasn't kind of felt uh, an endless countdown to Sheffield United. It actually has felt like maybe a good good chance just to take stock to, uh, if, if you're David Wagner and, and, and his coaches and, and players. and um, and maybe sort of decode what got sort of went wrong really post Millwall and, and what felt like um yeah really harnessed that momentum. Um and it was gonna be full steam ahead. And unfortunately for me, it feels like it's just stalled, you know, one one goal scored in the, the, the subsequent three games, two points out of a possible nine. Um and, you know, a sense that, you know, maybe now it's 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 in rebuild rather than sort of refresh and tweak territory come the summer, which we'll get into in due course, I'm sure, today. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, I don't know whether it's misplaced optimism or not, but I think that, I think there's a there's, there's, there's something to look forward to this Saturday, Car Road, Sheffield United, and a team who seemingly locked in that battle with Middlesbrough to, to get the second automatic spot behind Burnley. Um, but it's a good fixture, I think, from the point of view of Norwich and David Wagner, because they it will focus the minds. They will knit, They will know purely in terms of the opponent, that they need to be at it because Sheffield United will be at it. And and if they are at it and they can get a result uh, to go with a performance, then, you know, the rest of, rest of what looks a, a tricky few games ahead can be, be sort of attacked with a bit more optimism rather than almost navigating a path to, to the summer and what comes next. So this is big now. I mean, we'll get into it. I think there's eight league games left, but for, for me, it boils down to the next four uh, and the teams they're going to play because I think ultimately if they come through that four game swing and they haven't got themselves in a top six position or very, very close to it. I think the game's up basically. So it really, really is now or never ultimately, if it's going to be as David Wagner appealed post Stoke, a reset and uh, forget the disappointment, forget the, what it was all about automatic that's gone, but you can still achieve 
what the ob- objective was at the start of the season, which was promotion back to the Premier League. So, you know, we, we'll try and strike an optimistic note, Connor. Uh, I don't want to speak for you, but uh, I think we will try and be upbeat. Um, we had a good Q&A on the Pink and App, I thought, on Monday afternoon, my, myself and, and, and you, uh, for 40-odd minutes, some really, really good conversational topics uh, around Norwich and, and a sense of realism, I thought, you know, rather than doom and gloom, it was kind of okay. Well, if if it plays out as most people maybe fear it's going to now over these next eight games, what needs to happen next? You know, what are the building blocks to turn things around and, and get this club again, as they have been previously at this level, you know, really competitive and really harbouring genuine hopes of getting back to the Premier League. And of course, then that then we'll deal with what the Premier League looks like when, when they get back there. But but in the here and now, it's obviously crossroads territory for me. This is where we've reached. It's either going to go and peter out this season over these remaining eight games, or they're going to find something, find what they, they, they look like they've found at Millwall recently. And, and, and then we can really, you know, maybe look forward to quite an exciting end to the season. That'd be nice. It would indeed, and we will uh, we will come back to to that and discuss those those eight games. I, I thought I'd address this. Won't mean much if you've uh, if you've got us uh, plugged into your ears or listening on, on whatever device in terms of audio. But if you're watching, uh, and I, I'll use the word watching on uh, on YouTube. Hello, look, we can wave at you now. Uh, we are trialing uh, some some video. So if you like this format of the podcast, then tell us you like it. If you rather not see our faces, which is totally understandable, you can also tell us that as well. But you get to see my lovely yellow walls and curtains and Paddy's lovely brown door and uh, and whatnot. So uh, enjoy that. But it, it was literally that we, this is how we kind of, uh, I won't bore you with the, Connor, the specific. Connor, sorry, sorry. I'm getting visions because we discussed before we started recording that, again, boring work chat, but every summer we kind of sit down and try and uh, in a vain attempt to sort of suggest that we do think about the content we produce, look at where we could tweak it, improve it, um, refine it drop what doesn't work, maybe embellish what we think does work. Uh, you've come up with a new feature, home, Homes of the Pink, and I think uh, we might have to think about that in our summer chat. Uh, who's going to play? Who's going to play Dion in that in that in that uh, situation? <laughs> well, get the man himself. You know, Hux will get him. Hux will get him on board. I'm sure if Hux is listening or watching, you know, we, we no, can no, strike, strike what, a deal. What? What we'll do is we'll get Dion on one week and we'll just sit in our backdrops and we'll just have him absolutely hammer uh, the way, no pun intended, the way that the uh, the way that the house is kind of set up. And uh, oh yeah, and my you, wife, you... my wife would love that, Connor. Yeah, now to bring it on. Yeah, it's all about it the would, home improvements. It would be that door, knock it out, and uh, get rid of those yellow walls. I can hear it now. But anyway, we di- we digress. So so yes, we're we're trialing some some visuals on YouTube. It, this is only and again, not to bore you with specifics, which I was saying before. Paddy mentioned Dion Dublin and Homes Under the Hammer. Um, we are ba- basically this is how we record the podcast. If it's not a home game, if it's a home game, we then go back to the office and it becomes a little bit difficult for various reasons to to film it. But if it's an away game or we're doing it on an ad hoc, better ad hoc. But you know, if there's a, a broadcast during an international break, this is how we record in in the same way that we do videos. So we might as well use the visuals and, and you might as well use them. Again, if you're listening on audio, I appreciate that none of that set, uh, section would have been relevant, but you might want to pause and you might want to go away and watch this on YouTube. So it's up to you. Uh, fully understand if not. And uh, as I say, please do give us feedback if uh, if that is the case and you'd like to see more of that. And as Paddy says, something that we're experimenting. So there we go. Um, Paddy, international breaks more broadly before we come on to Norwich City. How do you find them? Because I, I for one, I can't stand them. They're not for me. I I feel uh, so. So it was okay for me because, I, as I said, I was at Peterborough Derby at the weekend. But if I'm not at a football match at 
on Saturday. And even I feel, I would extend this and say, I feel it if Norwich are playing on a Friday or a Sunday. But if I'm at home on a Saturday, I kind of feel like I I should be somewhere. And and I don't really like watching England play qualifiers. I know they played Italy, which is a respectable opponent by all accounts. And and Ukraine obviously had a lot of emotion. I didn't watch a a minute of either game. Just, Just no interest in it. I mean, what's kind of your perspective on international football and how much do you indulge over over the the breaks of Norwich City that we get indulge no definitely not on on your end of the scale well not quite I mean I did where did I didn't see any of the Italy game that was previous Thursday wasn't it I think um and the England game only drew me in really because of the Madison James Madison factor really um you know fellow Coventry and so uh and obviously formerly of this parish and, and did very well and uh, Norwich a tidy penny, which might become relevant again this summer. Um, but if Madison hadn't been playing, I don't think I'd have... And I didn't, didn't watch the entirety of that game. I think I sort of got bored by half-time when they'd clearly got themselves in control and uh, and then it was a very low-paced, pretty anemic affair, ultimately. I'll tell you what I did watch. I don't know if you watched this game. I watched... Uh, it was last midweek. It was Sheffield Wednesday, Barnsley, or Barnsley-Sheffield Wednesday in League One cracking game i think it finished free two if memory serves but that was it from my perspective far more entertaining than than i get from any kind of international friendly or qualifier that's that's kind of what i'm getting at i suppose but yeah i'd much rather go out and walk the dog or do other stuff than than watch qualifiers i guess or or kind of even though it is competitive football it doesn't really feel like competitive football no yeah no i'll take your point i mean i'm obviously considerably older than you connor and i've had too many disappointments following england at major tournaments so i i think the well is dry, although I still get swept along when they, like they have done in the recent tournaments, go pretty deep. Um, but to bring it back round to, no, I quite liked having a weekend off um, because it is quite a novelty and you can do things with the family or whatever and uh, just chill out a little bit. But, and it's pertinent because we're going to get there pretty soon. When we get to the summer, that feeling only lasts for about one weekend and then there is a bit of a, almost uh, disorientating feel to a Saturday and not not doing anything football related around Norwich City or a Sunday as we work, work in the loosest sense, but uh, producing content. So, yeah, rapidly the feeling of, oh, this is nice. Um, this is quite, quite, quite pleasant not to be having to think about football in a content perspective on a Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Um, which is where we was. I was anyway last weekend. But I can guarantee if if we rolled it on and there was no Norwich game this weekend, then I would be getting a little bit um, not, agitated. Uh, is that the word? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think. Yeah, in terms, probably better to ask my wife. She she would she would certainly be getting a bit agitated with me being around the place. And <laughs> uh, you because, say you sound you like know, a football yeah. manager. Is that a work? That's what that's what you make that sound yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah, no, but it is. It's for, and, and obviously what we're talking about is ultimately, because we, we're coming at it from a media point of view, but I'm sure if you're a regular Norwich fan, season ticket holder, or one of those that goes away as well, it's the same process, isn't it? You know, you kind of, your weekends are, frame the framework is Norwich City and consuming that, be it in the media or as a fan. And then when there isn't any Norwich City, it's kind of, it is quite, quite, a, quite a strange feeling and, uh, you know we'll have to we'll have to we'll have to deal with that in the summer, obviously, as we always do. But even that now feels increasingly quite a short. I mean, it's almost you know by the time you've t- tied all the threads together off the back of a season, there'll be a few sort of contractual elements to tie up, and that'll be the case, obviously, with 
certain individuals are at the end of their Carrow Road terms this time around. So, so it's never the final game comes and then that's it. We'll see you again in August. It's kind of a week, two weeks after. There's still bits and pieces to do, but then it'll go a bit quiet sort of through June. And, you know, of course, the nature of it now, by, by the end of June, they, they tend to be coming back into Colney for pre-season and then very, very short order after that, the pre-season sort of uh, swings into view. So, you know, that, that summer winter, of course, in, in, in the absence of football, you'd like to think there's a few transfer bits and pieces we can get our teeth into. But um, again, that, that may or may not be the case this summer. And and again, I think that'll be heavily dependent on what happens in these remaining eight games because, you know, the finances is, will dictate what Norwich can or can't do. And, and that will be heavily dictated by league status, whether it's Premier League and all the riches that accrue or it's uh, championship and having to be very creative and, and generating funds. And, and probably the main plank of that will be player sales, ultimately player exits. So, um, but yeah, no, so that's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, didn't mind it having a weekend off, but wouldn't want to make a habit of it. Yes, and I'll, I'll come back to what I was doing on, on Saturday later on. I appreciate the, the opening 13 minutes of this podcast makes it feel like we're filling time and we're definitely not doing that because there is lots to talk about. We just go off on various tangents. Um, let's let's talk about these these final eight games then, Pad. It's uh, So eight games, I'll try and remember the maths now. 24 points, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and some really interesting games that Norwich City have within that. I, I thought actually I would, uh, I'd start by just reading out Norwich City's remaining fixture list because I think particularly the next four I'm looking at and and saying actually we'll probably have a relatively conclusive answer as to whether Norwich City are going to finish in the top six uh, come the end of that fourth game against Middlesbrough on the 14th of April. So this is uh, Norwich City's remaining eight games. They start obviously this Saturday uh, by welcoming Sheffield United to Carrow Road. We then go to Ewood Park on Good Friday. Uh, Jordan Hugo's Rotherham in, in, ta- in town in City uh, in uh, on, on uh, Easter Monday. Then it's Middlesbrough on the Friday night at 8 o'clock. Thank you very much, Guy Sports. QPR away uh, the following midweek. Then Russell Martin brings his Swansea side to Carrow Road. Uh, we all travel to West Brom for the penultimate game of the season um, there before obviously welcoming Mick McCarthy's Blackpool to Carrow Road for the final day on May the 8th. It's um, a, a really interesting run of fixtures, Pad. I, I, I do think that even though there's eight games left and we will talk probably about those as a as an entity, as as one kind of list as they are, I think it, it would be remiss of us not to zoom in specifically on those first four that Norwich have coming coming off this break. Sheffield United uh, obviously are, are in second. Blackpool uh, Blackpool, Blackburn, sorry, I've got the wrong black uh, black club there. They're, they're fifth. And then, obviously, um, Rotherham, who are, who are fighting for their lives at the bottom end of the table, which, um, as we've said on this podcast before, can often be uh, dangerous or more dangerous than, than a mid-table side at this stage of the season. And then, obviously, travelling to third place, Middlesbrough. So, I think it's fair to say, come the end of those four games, we're going to have a really decent picture of where Norwich City sits. So, with that in mind, let's just look at these four games first. How many? Well, it's up to you, really. You can, you can. I'll let you decide. You can either go for how many wins Norwich need from the eight, or you can look, zoom in specifically on this four and say how, what you feel they'll need from for, from those. So I'll, I'll leave that open to you. Yeah, I think I'd probably ultimately it is about getting to the end point of the top six. So for me, it's how many from these eight games they need to win, and I think we looked at it recently, didn't we? And just going to double check where they are in terms of it's, points. Yeah, 57. Five, five to 73, I think. Five wins would get, get them to 73, yeah. which I think 
if you got 73 points and you didn't get in the playoffs, you would be pretty disappointed. But I would also say it doesn't absolutely guarantee it. Um, and six wins would get them to 75, I think. or seven, No, I've confused myself now. 75, 76, 72, 73. Those are, are roughly the figures for, for five and six wins. So I, yeah, I think I mean, six would guarantee it. But yeah. five, I think you'd be you'd be disappointed if you didn't make it with, with that. Well, I mean, you say that, Connor, but I, I've got the table in front of me now and you know, Norwich 7th on 57, Coventry level on points, West Brom, Watford, both clubs harbouring the same ambitions, only two points further back, Sunderland, Preston, two further back from that. So essentially I've listed one, two, three, four, five, six clubs, including Norwich, separated by four points outside of the top six. Um, if, 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 as you would expect, it's reasonable to assume some of those will go on a run, I think it could nudge the, the, the sixth point tally um, up a little bit. So I, I think six, I, d- I think it will need six wins out of eight to to guarantee with a, with a lowercase G maybe, but to get to get into the top six. And if you bring that back round then to the fixtures Norwich have got, are they going to win six of the remaining eight games when they've got Sheffield United, Blackburn, Rotherham, okay, and Middlesbrough. Um, so three of those four are teams, you know, either challenging for automatic or very much in the playoff mix. And it's a tall order. I think you could come through those four and win maybe three of them. So, you know, two of those being away, of course, as well, Blackburn and Middlesbrough. Um, so you begin to see the degree of difficulty and you also see what a missed opportunity since Millwall. You know, Sunderland at home, 1-0 defeat, Huddersfield away, going 1-0 up as well and so dominant in that first half against the team who were really struggling at the wrong end of the table, um, even with the with Neil Warnock factor and yet they're, not clinging on at the end, but probably thankful to escape with a point in that second half. And then Stoke, a complete non-entity. And but for Angus Gunn, they get beat that day. Um, you know, even 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 four points from that that sort of nine points available instead of the the, the the two that they took, then it probably lessens the need to go six from eight for me. So, but that's where we are, and I think that's ultimately what David Wagner was trying to to get to the the knob of post Stoke when he spoke to me immediately after the game that don't live in the past, that don't don't get hung up on the disappointment of what's gone, can't be changed now. It's all about these remaining eight league games uh, and plotting a path to the playoffs. And yeah, of course we we can't we can't say definitively you get six, you'll be in the playoffs. It might might take slightly less than that. But I think it'd be very it'd be very tense sort of going into the West Brom and particularly the Blackpool game last day of the regular season if they were really on the cut line. And, and I think you'd probably be relying on favours from elsewhere if if you got to that point and you hadn't, you know, you hadn't won won the games that you needed to to put it in your own hands ultimately. But, you know, that's where Norwich have found themselves. Um, and that's ultimately a byproduct of not being able to control their own destiny to the degree they needed to up to this point. They've had plenty of games, plenty of months, plenty of opportunities Um some false thorns along the way, even with Dean Smith, and you could argue with David Wagner, but ultimately, in the here and now, they need probably, I feel, six from from eight. And if you ask me to put my mortgage on it, then I don't think that's possible. I don't think that's likely rather than possible. It is possible, but what we've seen, particularly in the last three games, uh, are we convinced? Are we even vaguely optimistic that Norwich can find the goals they need to find, which have proven elusive, that they can remain defensively resolute. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think so much has to fall into place and, I, and I'm not sure that two weeks since Stoke 
particularly with a lot of the internationals away. It's not like they've had Wagner's been at a lock them away at Colney for two weeks of double sessions and really work on things on the training pitch. Ultimately, there'll be players who rock rock back up at Colney in the next few days that, that haven't been anywhere near the place since Stoke. Um, and that's just the nature of having a squad who are deemed good enough to, to go off and represent their respective countries. So I think it will take six put, uh, wins from eight. I don't think they'll get that. And ultimately, I think that's why we'll be uh, looking at uh, a summer refresh slash rebuild. Um, I'm going to throw that one straight back to you, Connor. So from the eight games, or if you just want to do it in the four-game sample coming up, what do you think they'll realistically get? And will that be enough? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I, I probably think five would would do it, and that's that's my view. And actually, I, I look at it, um, and and I don't, I'm with you. I don't I don't feel it's impossible. So so you look at it. They've got four home games left. Obviously, starting with Saturdays against Sheffield United, uh, but but after that, their remaining home games are Rotherham, Swansea, and Blackpool. So if Norwich won those four, you'd you'd probably need a win from elsewhere and and obviously they go to to QPR Blackburn Middlesbrough uh, West Brom um I don't think I missed any there have I no so so that 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 again feels possible I, I wouldn't say it feels impossible but yeah certainly the feeling that the, this group has uh has, has imparted on all of us and that the feeling that, that it's left us with has probably suggested that actually this group probably hasn't shown over the course of the season so far and this is where they're, they're gonna have to change narratives in the, in the final eight games that they can put together a sustained run of performances. They've got the Huddersfield performance in them, the Sunderland performance in them, uh, and they they really struggle. I don't think we've seen them put certainly more than three, but definitely more than two. Um, uh, well, no, sorry, other way around. Definitely more than three, but 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 probably even more than two um, performances together back to back. So that makes it very difficult, I think, to to then navigate a route for them in, into the into the playoffs. And that's why I think we, we're zooming in specifically on these four games because uh, I, I'm with you. I think they need to win two of Sheffield United, Blackburn, Middlesbrough, obviously on, on the basis that they beat Rotherham as well. And if they do that, then suddenly you go into the final four games with probably a lot less pressure on yourself. You you probably need to win two, maybe two or four, which again, not not completely unreasonable. It's just the fact there's no margin for error. So Sheffield United, which feels like a game that Norwich are going to really struggle with, and we'll come on to that towards the end of the, the pod, that's going to be a difficult one to get three points from. And if, if they don't do it there, then you've got to go to Blackburn, who will be viewing this this game against Norwich as massive to their season. And if they lose that one, then again, it becomes tough. And actually, if you get to a stage where even if you've won one of those three games, you're looking at the, the last four, probably feeling that you have to win certainly three or four, but but maybe even four or four. So that's probably why it does feel a, a big ask. And, and and maybe if those fixtures were, were flipped, I don't know if that would make you more confident because at least then they'd be able to, to get some form up. So, yeah, I, I think they need at least two wins from those three games that I've mentioned in the in the next four, plus obviously beating Rotherham, which I understand we're kind of talking about as being a given, certainly isn't a given, um, to, to kind of set them up nicely for the for the final four where maybe you'd be looking at the fixture list as being a little bit kinder, but certainly within that, we know what the championship is like. There, there, there's no kind of additional guarantees within that. So that that's kind of what I what I feel and, and what I think will happen. I, I think they'll get beaten by, by Sheffield United. I could actually see them doing something away at Blackburn. I've not been majorly impressed with them all season, really. So I could I could see them winning that, could see them winning Rotherham, and, and I think they'll get beat at Middlesbrough. So again, uh, I think if we got to that stage and they'd won two of those four, I think you'd probably then need to win another three, three from four against QPR, Swansea, 
West Brom Blackpool. Not impossible, but it, it feels tough and, and it makes the the margin for error so, so tight. So yeah, it's it it, it is tough. I, I I think they'll they'll struggle away at QPR because they do historically. Russell Martin Swansea, I think, is a really intriguing one. Uh, I think they they I don't know Norwich traditionally do quite well at West Brom, but uh, it's it's really tough I think to sit here and navigate a path to the playoffs, and that's kind of where I'm at, and that's based purely on feeling. And I think we've said on the podcast now for a while that that we both think that they're going to drop just short of it. Um, so that probably I I'll probably save what I'm going to say. I mean, how many points do you? So we've said what we think they'll need to get in. So what do you think they'll get from those from those? I'm probably asking you to do some maths on the spot, so I might fill in but um so maybe i'll do mine first so if, if, if i'm saying free at blackburn free at rotherham uh i'll go a draw at qpr so that's what seven beat swansea 10 lose to west brom beat blackpool so that would give them 13 and i'm probably being quite optimistic there really so that would that would end them on you're gonna have to hang on let me get my calculator up so what are they on at the moment 57 plus uh, 13 that would put them on 70 I don't think that would be enough personally. It might, it might do because this season is, is really bizarre in itself, but that that's me being uber optimistic as well, Pad. So you, you did say you wanted us to be optimistic. So that's, that's the way that I've gone. I've given you some time to work out yours. So more or fewer than 13 are you going with? I think Connor, I've got them. I just had my calculator on the go. So I think I've got them on 72. Which is, I don't think, would be enough. I think I can see them getting a result against Sheffield United, draw at Blackburn, beat Rotherham, and then maybe lose at Borough. I think they'd get something at QPR, and then I'd fancy them to maybe win two of the last three. So I've kind of talked myself into a space where I didn't think six from eight was doable. But as you say, it. It might not need six from eight. It will certainly, if it doesn't, does it, does it hinge on the home games? Because that's kind of the oh, way absolutely. that I, that I, yeah, that I look at it. But if, if they win, if they win on Saturday, they've got a really good chance of winning the remaining the remaining home games. Wouldn't disagree. Yeah, um, it's still a tall order, as Sunderland proved when they turned up at Car Road and frustrated Norwich and deservedly went away with the points. That you know you can't really discount a Swansea, a Blackpool from doing something that particularly you know. The stories around both of those, you know, Swansea and Russell Martin, Mick McCarthy, Blackpool, they possibly will need points to stay up. He'd like nothing better than to give his former East Anglian rivals a, a punch on the nose, metaphorically. So, you know, there'll be lots of sort of strands off all of these games. But, you know, that isn't beyond them to, to, to go to go maximum points at Car Road. I mean, we we saw, you know, prior to the, the sort of the misstep against Sunderland that it looked like David Wagner had cracked the code after a, an endless season of frustration in front of their own fans. They'd, they'd gone win, win, win and, and look good doing it as well. So they can do that. It's more, yeah, my eyes cast more to, you know, Blackburn away, uh, Middlesbrough away. West Brom away. I, I think that those are very, very difficult uh, assignments. And, you know, I think it's a tall order to expect Norwich to go to those destinations and and, and get maximum points. So ultimately, I think what we're, we're kind of saying, if it is going to happen, whether you feel it will or not, but it, it, if you're looking at it in terms of breaking down the eight, then the, the hall, the, the vast majority of the hall of points has to come at Car Road. And uh, that's why particularly after the back of Sunderland, this this coming Saturday is massive for so many reasons. It's 
massive because they need to harness again that momentum. It felt they were they were they were building after Millwall. They need to put right the Sunderland result in front of their own fans, but also what a signal that would send, you know, to get the better of Sheffield United. It would more or less say, okay, you know, looks like Norwich are not quite gone uh, and they do have a little bit of life left in them. And that particularly for the teams who have yet to go to Car Road, they know it's going to be a difficult um, challenge. And um, and that can, all, that can all come from a result and a performance this Saturday. So I don't think it's overstating it. This is the biggest game of the season um, because of the corner they've backed themselves into. Yes, I, I would agree. I feel like we've both been quite optimistic there. I wonder, uh, and maybe this is something that we can uh, we can post out on our various socials and that people can get in touch with us about before obviously Saturday's game. How many points do do, do you guys listening feel they will they will get? Do you get in contact uh, with us? We'd love to hear your opinions as to whether we've been uh, completely irrationally high or maybe even a little bit modest in terms of their chances. It'll be interesting to kind of gauge. Uh, where you think, and in the second part of that question, how many points is going to be required for them to get into the top six? Just a final question, Pad, before we hear from from Tony Springer and uh, talk a little bit about the the next generation. So much focus has been put on getting into the playoffs, and that's obviously what the conversation has been around in in the last few weeks. So I'm going to frame it a little bit differently. Does getting into the playoffs drastically change how this season will be perceived? And I mean that in terms of I think if you polled, if you went outside Carrow on a match day, polled a thousand Norwich City fans and said, this Norwich City group haven't finished in the top six. Is that a failure? Yes or no? And gave them a very binary vote. I think you get a lot more yeses than than no's. Would that shift dramatically if this group gets into the top six, irrespective of, of how it goes in the playoffs? Does does that completely change how this season is, is perceived? And could you make a case that it hasn't been a total disaster? Is that maybe where we're, we're at now? If you, if you kind of understand what, what I'm asking you. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, no, a disaster wouldn't be finished. A disaster would be relegation or, you know, bottom six. Um, it's all degrees. It's all relative. But no, if they finished in the top six then and came up short in the playoffs, no, I don't I don't think that that would be a disaster. There's another D. Would it be a disappointment given that the, the ambition from inside the club, uh, from senior figures inside the club, from the playing staff was if not to to uh, replicate what they did the last two times at this level and win the title certainly to get automatic then then yes that 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 falling short in the playoffs is a is a long way short of that so that would constitute failure by the club's own measure um but i think maybe where you're going with that is is would it change the kind of the feeling of what comes next really you know if they if this group have galvanized themselves and We've seen more evidence of the good things that David Wagner has managed to impart on this group of players. Then I think that that would allow you to go into the summer still with the caveat that they need to get a lot of things right in terms of reshaping the squad. But I think that I think the positive side of the ledger would outweigh the negative in terms of okay under this head coach with a proper preseason a, is a real chance to put his own imprint on the group of players, not the ones he inherited. Uh, and then a full season to attack in the championship, I think there would be more optimism if if they if they continue on the path they're on post Millwall and and it tails off and they finish anywhere between I don't know seventh and tenth, then uh, then I, I, I think the mood music is different. So you know that's an interesting one that they're actually playing for maybe more than simply, which is the, the main objective clearly to get out of the division, um, but. The one before that is obviously to get in the playoffs. That's where we're at now. But I, I think more broadly, there, there's a there's a lot 
in terms of the, the narrative and, and the shifting moods that can either go in a positive or a negative direction from from how they approach it. And if they fall short, they fall short. But it's how they fall short, I think, that could be very important moving into a, a pivotal summer um, for the reasons we, we all know about in terms of the, the lack of financial resource to do anything certainly as it stands uh, and anything that they do do will be if it is championship football they're planning for wholly dependent on self-financing and and that probably equates to player exits from the current roster so yeah I think I think there's a lot riding on these eight games in terms of clearly in the short term getting into the playoffs and then having a good crack at the Premier League via the playoffs but I think realistically the mid midterm um, of bringing in a coach in January who they believe maybe chimes a bit closer to to what Weber has sought to build here and that connection with the fan base and you know the parallels with Daniel Farker, not only in nationality but in terms of characters and personality and that, that warmth and that kind of almost enthusiasm that he brings to how he carries himself, David Wagner. I think all of that is there, but it, it needs to be backed up by results and performances and you know, right now it'd be interesting if the season stopped right now. How would how would a David Wagner season or half a season, not even that, but but a David Wagner spell in charge of Norwich in January? How would it be perceived? And that'd be a very interesting one because I'm sure if you'd have uh, if you'd have polled immediately after the final whistle at Millwall, uh, a lot of fans would have would have been saying, "Well, this guy's for us." Um, and I'm not saying necessarily that isn't the case now, but I think there's a bit more realism around the challenges that he faces moving forward off the back of the last three games. And maybe for, for a lot of people, media and fans alike, is sort of a, a confirmation that some of these players have reached the end of the road and then it does need a refresh and it does need to be um, livened up a little bit. Uh, and I think privately, if you spoke to David Wagner, he, he might concur with that. But but ultimately, he's in the heat of still uh, a realistic attempt at getting in the playoffs. So, of course, for in the here and now, it's all about backing these players to deliver. Um, but... Yeah, I think I, th- I think both short-term objectives but medium-term feeling um, these next eight games are, are pretty important, yeah. Just finally then, before we hear from Tony Springett, let's have your top six, Pad. How do you see it finishing? Obviously, you've got Burnley, they're, they're, they're gone. So, so let's let's both say they're champions. How does it line up for, for you after that? Um, let's, let's just have team names. Let's not, let's not go for explanations. Let's just, just see if uh, Cov wangle their way in there. Well, you know, I don't, it's a very difficult one for me to be dispassionate um, with the boys in blue, but Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, Luton nailed on. So, that's, so you think Sheffield know. United will pip Middlesbrough? Don't know. Well, you said not. we wasn't going positionally, Connor, so I'm going to keep that Did very I? loose. Okay. Yeah, you, you said right. it's not well, unless you want me to give you a position for second and third. No, I don't, but, I don't mind. I'm, I'm easy. I don't mind either way, really. I, I think that's too close to call now. I really do. I mean, I'm looking at it. Sheffield United got a game in hand. They're three points clear, but... You know, if Norwich did the business this weekend, the Middlesbrough did the business, then, you know, they're level on points. So I think that one's very difficult to call in terms of the second, but I do think those will, that will be the top three, Burnley, Sheffield United, Middlesbrough. I think Luton have got that real battle-hard and consistency. Worth reiterating, I know it's a different manager in charge, but they got to the top six last season. They've got a group of players who know what it takes uh, to see the job through in terms of top six. I don't see them falling away. Um, Blackburn and Millwall, you'd, you'd think probably one of those two might might have the staying power. Um, not sure which, but but I could. And so effectively, we're we're looking at one slot available. If if you think there's five clubs who are going to 
shore up their position from the current crop. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a pick them there, isn't it? Anybody from Watford, West Brom, Cov, Norwich, Millwall, Blackburn for two spots. So I think I'd probably, well, it's pure guesswork now, but I think four up the top four, including Luton, I think you can probably much ink them in. And then it, for me, it's, you know, well, we'll, we'll go, we'll go Millwall and maybe, maybe Coventry. I've got Coventry in mine, and I'll tell you, you reason, I'll tell you a reason for why. And it's uh, Mark and Robbins, it's Victor. Well, that yeah, and and also Victor Guy Koresh, who is for me a, a Premier League grade striker. And certainly, if Coventry don't go up this year, he's he's one that I think certainly most teams in the bottom half of the Premier League would pluck and put straight into their their starting lineup. Not to not to flog him, pads. So I'm sorry for that. So I'll, I'll go the other direction. So I'll go Coventry. I think Millwall will stick around under under Gary Rowett. Uh, I think they've got the robustness and uh, and the relentlessness to do it. Luton a, a, as well. I think Middlesbrough are going to pip Sheffield United, so I'm going to put Sheffield United third, Middlesbrough then Burnley. So that's uh, that's going to be my 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 top six. But we we've probably both got it drastically drastically wrong. So that's that's the beauty of this. This is why we never do looking forward podcasts. You see, we're always reflecting rather than than looking forward. But uh, there we go. That we we've gazed into our crystal ball. Of course, you can let us know your top six as well. Um, maybe we'll make that a free part question to go out on our socials at some stage. As I, as, as I mentioned a few times uh, last Saturday, no Norwich City game. I, I took the, the, the trip down the A47 to Peterborough. Uh, Derby were there. Uh, I went with the intention of watching Tony Spring to play a game of football. He didn't get off the bench, but he did have time to speak to me afterwards. Here's what he had to say. Tony, let's, uh, let's start with the obvious question. How, how are you finding it? How are you, how are you getting on? How, really enjoying it, I would imagine. Yeah, really enjoying it. I mean, the situation at Norwich wasn't bad. I just felt like at this point, 20 years old, I've got to be playing games. I feel like, I feel like playing 21s games wasn't uh, improving me as much as I would like to. So uh, obviously, me and the, the gaffer made the decision to send me out to Derby. And to be honest, since coming here, I've received nothing but love. I'm playing games, I'm playing minutes. Sometimes when I don't start, I still come on. So I can't really complain, I'm loving it. Uh, and I guess you got the taste for it last year a little bit. And yeah. I guess once you get the taste for it, you, you want more, don't you? And to come to a club like Derby, the fans that we saw here today, but but also the, the playing squad experience, uh, yeah. players who have played in the Premier League, I mean, it's a, a no-brainer from your perspective, right, at this stage of your career? Yeah, definitely. I feel like, like you said, uh, when you get a taste of it, you don't really want to go back to playing uh, like enclosed games. So obviously I came here. Um, could have taken a lower team, League Two, but I think when I spoke to the gaffer here, he was just honest with me, told me we're fighting for promotion. It's going to be hard to get in the starting lineup, but if you want to take on that challenge, then it's up to you. And you know me, I work hard, so I just saw the challenge and thought, why not go for it? Uh, choose the, the harder option rather than the easy option. And sometimes it pays off. I've started two games, sometimes it don't, but I'm still playing, so I'm happy. Yeah, and I guess it's the experience overall, isn't it? Even even if you're if you're not starting games, I mean, you you've been at Norwich for for a long period of time. To come into a new environment, how was how was that being? Because I imagine that was something that maybe was a, a little bit daunting for you to start with. It, loads of people, everyone at Norwich probably would have thought it wasn't because of the character that I am. But no, um, coming up to the first week, I was really nervous because obviously you don't know how people are going to take your personality or if there's any pe- people at the club that just don't like loan players or there's loads of different reasons why I was nervous but you know ever since the first day honestly the change room here is absolutely incredible all the older lads more experienced lads they're making me learn new stuff every day 
I'm in the changing room, whereas back at Norwich I wasn't, I was still in under 21, so I feel like I'm just more involved. Um, I'm not really looked at as a, as a young player here, I'm more like looked at as someone that's been brought in to help the squad, which I, I enjoy more really, because I feel like I'm more respected, whereas at Norwich I'm going to have to earn that over the time. So yeah, just literally everyone here is, I can give a bad word about one person in the, in the change room. Uh, and Paul Warren as well. I mean, you, you mentioned. Oh, it. I think I, I heard him refer to you as like a bottle of coke yeah, or, or, so, or something. Yeah, which is I don't think I've ever heard a player described yeah, in that honestly. way. I mean, he's a unique character. How, how much are you enjoy and sort of working with him? Um, I'm loving it because when you're making a decision like going on loan, it could either go one or two ways. Uh, the gaffer says you're going to play every game you come and you don't. Whereas with uh, the gaffer here, he told me exactly how it is before I came. Like I mentioned before, you're going to have to earn your earn your spot, earn your playing time. And he's stuck by everything. Every time I haven't started, he's given me a good reason why I haven't. And when I have started, he's told me why. So, honestly, I couldn't ask for a better gaffer. And, and in terms of Norwich, what's the communication? I, mean, I know they obviously they have, they have uh, Hughes, who's the loan manager. Yeah. Do, you, do you have a lot of communication with, with him? And are you in sort of con- on contact regularly with them? Yeah, Hughes is uh, a, top, a top man. Uh, he keeps in contact with me all the time, honestly. Um, once a week he'll give me a phone call or I'll give him a phone call if I feel like I need to speak to him. So he's always just updating me, asking me how I'm getting on or if I'm not starting, why am I not starting or how did the game go when I do come on or do start. So yeah, the communication's great. I couldn't ask for more from Husey from his side. I know he's got a lot on, obviously Norwich has got a lot on their table right now. So him taking his time out of his day to contact me, see how I'm getting on, I do really appreciate it. And just finally, I guess now you've got a taste of this experience. Sort of moving into next season, you'll, you'll want to be playing regularly again. And if that isn't the case at Norwich, I guess you'd, you'd look again for for another loan move. Uh, yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm putting myself in a situation where I want to go back to Norwich in a good position, and I'm not the type of person to kind of just move aside for someone. Obviously, I love everyone at Norwich, all the players, staff. But if I'm not, if I don't have a clear path um, into being on the bench or starting. Uh, by the start of the season then I'm going to want to look to go out on another loan or whatever the future holds but I'm not really thinking about that right now I feel like that's something for me to deal with on my off time right now I'm just focused on getting promoted with this with this club here and I'm loving every second of it there you go. So there's uh, Tony Springett. Really lovely chatting to him. He, he spoke to me just after his uh, just after his warm down. So he, he started a little bit out of breath, and I think I ended it uh, a little bit out of breath. So uh, there's a, there's a nice, nice contrast there. It was a very very why, nice. Why was why was you out of breath, Connor? Explain. Well, just you know, just uh, existing. It's just exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> for you jogging on and getting visions are you jogging on the spot or something like that around no i was i was actually i was actually stood in the home uh technical area speaking to him because it's a slightly raised surface there um and i just had a lovely chat with uh is it dan butler who plays for peter rose very nice chap so uh asked me what i was doing i said I, i've uh, covered Norwich city why are you here was basically the question i had that a lot throughout the afternoon but yeah thank you to uh to peterborough for their their lovely um hosting and it was a really interesting game of football actually Paul Warren obviously the, the derby manager so there's Norwich links there uh, that race in the playoffs in uh, in league one is absolutely fascinating automatic promotion and a title race all wrapped into one derby uh, were beaten 2-0 by Peterborough who are in really good form at the moment um, even though they absolutely battered them in the first half interesting to watch players like Connor Huran who uh, obviously was someone that I think some Norwich fans w- wouldn't have minded to see in in yellow and green last summer Felt he he really struggled. David McGoldrich also really struggled. Uh, they've got quite a few uh, players there who, who you'd kind of recognise at, at Derby. But 
probably does doesn't really feel like a pool worn team at the moment. So whether that's uh, going to kind of halt them from from getting into the playoffs, I don't know. Tony Springett really enjoying his experience there, as uh, as you heard. But that probably lends us onto a wider discussion pad about. I guess we, we've spoken so much about rebuilds and changes and, and sort of shuffling about various pieces on the chessboard next season. Where do you see the likes of Tony Springett, Jonathan Tompkinson, Barley Mumba, uh, players who have gone out on loan or are on the periphery of the squad who maybe will come back? And you, you heard Tony say in that interview there that he hopes when he does come back in the summer, there is a pathway that at least consists of him getting onto the bench with a view, obviously, then to, to starting games. If not, he'll look for another loan. I would imagine certainly a, a few more will, will, will come back like that. I guess Barley Mumba probably tops that list, right, after what he's done at Plymouth this season. Well, yes, and also Liam Gibbs, who we, we haven't mentioned. But I touched on, you know, we we hosted the, the Q&A on the Pinkin app earlier this week. And, you know, I've got the question up here. Richard, what does Liam Gibbs have to do to get a look in? Midfield has been dreadful of late. Um and you can debate the whys and wherefores of that statement, but I think it is pertinent to, to mention Liam Gibbs. And, you know, my reply to Richard on the Q&A was along the lines of, I think he's just been unfortunate. You know, he, he started, different manager I know, but he, he started in the team, was playing well, looked really at home. You know, for such a young, raw talent, it, it didn't look like it was phasing him at, at all. He's, as, we, as anybody who's watched him play, you know, he's very, very good on the ball, uh, good range of passing. I think he's understated his, his sort of athleticism and his physicality. I know David Wagner has subsequently talked that he doesn't think physically he can play the six, maybe the McLean, Zara role, Sorensen role. Um, and obviously he knows him, he sees him a lot closer quarters than we do. And, and if that's his opinion, then, then so be it. But, you know, from a position where he looked like he was establishing himself, he then got that injury. I think it was Sunderland away. Uh, that took him out of the side. Uh, I recall he got sort of fast-tracked in at Watford and then he got hooked for Isaac Hayden at half-time, a little bit harshly. I think there was a few comments from Dean Smith as well, about almost citing that they needed a bit more of a streetwise edge. And, you know, clearly Hayden at that point they felt was going to be the one who came through. Subsequently hasn't happened. We know about his injury backstory. Um, and then and then a change of manager. And then it's, you know, all bets are off again. And particularly for younger players, it's it's probably doubly hard because they don't have any back catalogue really for, for David Wagner to tap into. But, you know, there is no doubt because when I put it to David Wagner about Liam Gibbs, you know, only a matter of weeks ago, his face positively lit up about what a talent this guy is. And yes, I did. He didn't think he, right now he could play him in a deeper position, but as, as a, as a prospect, he doesn't need to convince David Wagner. It's just a case of, as David said, you know, patience as a young player and, keep performing in training, the opportunities will come, then you've got to take them. And and for, for, for Gibbs, Reed, Barley Mumble when he comes back, Tomkinson, Tony Springer, who you spoke to, um, you know, even Jaden Warner, maybe Abu Kamara, some of these these others who are just bubbling below in at development level. You know, there's there is a group of players who I think David Wagner quite likes from what he's seen so far, but and it, it all then flows into the broader point about if it is championship football, how do you integrate them? How do you bring them from the periphery, from, I like the look of him in training, to, no, he's going to be on my starting team sheet come August in the championship next season. And and that's such a delicate balancing act. And, of course, you know, we skip back to Daniel Farker, what a pass master he was, you know, and maybe out of necessity, um, that first championship season or the second one, but the first title win, 
where he had to go and give Max Aarons a go or Jamal Lewis or Ben Godfrey or Todd Cantwell to a lesser extent, James Madison, you know, that was out of necessity in, in many respects, but boy, did it pay off. But I think Farker was the type of coach who was willing to give youth a chance anyway. And because we saw that moving forward when maybe he didn't need to quite so um, out of necessity go down that route, but he did. Uh, and he continued to remain true to developing younger players. And I, and I think Wagner, my sense is he he's cut from the same cloth, but ultimately, you know, it's really going to be about timing and it's about when you give these players an opportunity. But uh, but I feel there is talent there at that level and we've talked about those names and as part of a broader refresh and renewal and moving some of the older players on or, or out to the side, you know, these players should should be considered and, and need to be considered because I think it's also sending a signal to your fan base as well. You know, if, if it's the same older heads, really, who are still locking out those starting positions next season, if it is the championship, I don't think that really sends your fan base a signal that this is different, this is new, this is something that you can you sort of you can feel as the dial has shifted and and that we're looking forward with a new set of players. And I know as I say, to repeat myself, that that is difficult because the expectation still on Norwich in the championship would be that they are winning games of football and they're competing at the right end of the table. You know, it isn't a development club. David Wagner has joined. This is a club with aspirations and expectations that they can get back to the Premier League and, and the sooner the better. So he has the pressure to produce results, but I think it also does need um, a sense, and particularly as well from, from those players. If you're Liam Gibbs, you want to feel that you're working under a head coach where you will get an opportunity and that, 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 that those first-team pathways are there. And maybe that's a nice segue to... To, de- to debate Alex Matos and what's happening to him as well. And I'll throw that one back to you, Connor, because you, you did a piece on him a couple of days ago. But, you know, if you set yourself up and one of your pillars as a club is to be a pathway to allow very good young talent an opportunity to flourish, and ultimately, with, let's go back to Liam Gibbs, he left Ipswich to join Norwich because he probably felt he could get to a first team a bit quicker at Norwich because Farker had done what he'd done with those aforementioned players. Then you need those pathways to be open and and the and the, and the door to to paraphrase what Dan used to say to be open, uh, and for players then to walk through it, close the door behind them, and say I'm not going back through that door. I'm here to stay. So that's that's imperative, really. If you, if you are as as Weber has constructed a, a club built on developing talent, then that talent needs an opportunity to come through, and um, that's why I think you know. Although it would be hugely disappointing if if this season tails away and they don't achieve that stated aim of getting back to the Premier League at the first attempt, at least if you could start to see the integration and the the blossoming of some of the players we've mentioned, then you you feel there is a sense of renewal and that's going to be so important moving forward because um, you know it, it would feel very much end of an era at the end of this season and and there needs to be a clear signal that it is an end of an era and a page is being turned not well we'll we'll have another season with a lot of the the tried and trusted because ultimately a lot of the tried and trusted if it plays out as we feel it will do over the next eight games will will have failed to deliver so do you give them another opportunity or do you say no time for a a, a more bolder direction again and we'll stride forward with you know at, at heart uh, some very talented young players who we feel if we back them 
and give them the opportunities, we'll come to the fore and we'll, we'll drive this club forward again because that's ultimately, if you take it right back to the start of the Weber era with Farquhar alongside him, that's what powered it. That's what powered that first title win was young, raw talent, given an opportunity, grabbed it and never looked back and took us all on that unforgettable journey, that that first 18-19 title winning season. So, um, you know, why not reconnect with, you know, the, 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 to, to paraphrase Alex Neal after the Stoke game, the DNA of Norwich, you know, the DNA of this Norwich under Stuart Webber's guidance as being at, at its heart, trusting young players. And, um, you know, sadly, to throw it right back to you now, Connor, that, that would appear not to be going to be the case with a, a very highly rated, uh, even younger talent in the academy called Alex Matos. Yes, and uh, just to bring people up to speed who, who maybe have, have missed this, so he's a, a young Norwich City, uh, he's in the under-18s, he's uh, 18 years of age, but has been playing at uh, a 23s level. Someone who's uh, been with Norwich, I think, since about under-12 level, joined from from Luton. So again, it's uh, for all maybe of the, the criticism of the academy system and, and bigger bigger teams in inverted commas, taking or hand-picking that talent out of, out of, again, clubs maybe lower down the pyramid, Norwich have, benefited from that as well so that's a, a footnote that's worth remembering but uh yeah it, it sounds like he is uh pretty close to to joining Chelsea by by all accounts um Chelsea have been interested for a long time I think uh wrote a piece after his he, he signed his first contract at, at Norwich to say that that was in an attempt to kind of thwart interest from them so that, that there's been a persistent interest uh from them I think Darren Ely tweeted who, who's worked with um with Matos at the Langley School during his, his period there that he was one of the the most talented um, players that, that he's worked with. I've, I've had that sentiment shared with me by, by a few ex-coaches of of his as well, who've worked at, at Norwich City at various stages. Um, and, and this is where probably from, from what you said there, Pad, raises so many questions because, yes, Chelsea is a very attractive proposition for any young player in terms of facilities, in terms of setup. And I guess maybe the difference between the interest last time and the interest this time is that um, there's a different structure there, a different ownership there and a different idea there. And maybe this kind of, they can sell the fact that they've got Graham Potter, a manager who traditionally has given young players opportunities um, before. And there's a real desire from, from Todd Bowley and obviously completely uh, revamped what, what they do at, at kind of sporting director level and technical directors and uh, sort of changed their scouting network it means that they basically want to make their under-21s as good as they can. They've spent a lot of money on young players to try and uh, basically become the club that has all of the best players in world football. So whether it's that that has has, has sold Alex Matos uh, a move to Chelsea, I don't know. I guess the question would be, what has changed from a Norwich perspective that makes him feel that Chelsea's now a vi- better, more viable option, I suppose? And that probably lends into what you, what you said there, Pad, in terms of Norwich's uh, USP, if you want to do it like that, has never been that they can offer the best facility. Obviously, the training grounds dramatic, sort of dramatically improved, and it's worth mentioning that as well. But certainly, they can't offer the 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 money or the prestige or reputation of playing for Chelsea, for example. But what they could offer was actually a realistic and tangible pathway to the first team, which then, if you did well, would allow you to to take the step on. And we've seen players we could listen: Ben Godfrey, Jamal Lewis, James Madison, who didn't come from Norwich's academy, but obviously was was part of that process as well have all been allowed to take that step. So if that's the idea, what has changed that's made Alex Matos feel that Chelsea is a better option for him? Now, that could be entirely down to personal circumstances. It could be finance. It could be the allure of playing for Chelsea. It could be all all of those things. My only thing that I would say to kind of counter that is, well, all of that was the same beyond, obviously, the project and structural changes that we spoke about. All of that existed 
before and he committed to, to, to Norwich in those circumstances. So was it that he, he wasn't as close to the first team as maybe he wanted to be at, at, at this stage? And I think, uh, and, and again, I wrote about this, there's some very talented players through that age group. Um, Ruben Shapoke, uh, who's who joined Aston Villa in October 2020 for for about a million quid. You've got Arlo Doherty, who's a goalkeeper who was at Manchester City and is now at Leicester. Uh, obviously, Matos as well. There, there are a couple of other examples of players leaving Norwich City for for kind of um, bigger things. There's a lad, young lad, 17-year-old at Chelsea, who was released by Norwich. So, so there are various circumstances. And obviously, we'd, we'd never know the full story around that. But I think it's it's difficult to conclude that um, because I'm, I'm sure you, Paddy, have spoken to people as well, and they would have told you, "Ah, oh, Matos, this guy's good, and, and this player's good." And given the pathway and, and the way that Norwich exists, where it's so important to get young players on this conveyor belt, and I, I don't necessarily want to turn this into a blame game because we don't have all of the facts and uh, and all the justification as to why he made that decision. Ultimately, only him and his representatives know that, and only Norwich know that, and only Chelsea know that. But it, it, it does feel disappointing whenever you have a talent who's that highly regarded and, and, and that spoke about in those terms and has got so close, played in the 23s and uh, his role has changed. He was a wide player and kind of an attacking player. He's been a bit more of a central player this year and um, played for Chelsea by all accounts in a development game against Charlton last Friday, I think, alongside N'Golo Kante as a central midfielder and recorded a couple of assists. So I guess to, to go back to earlier, disappointment is the word, isn't it? Irrespective of how it's come about or why it's come about or the various reasons. I think the frustration is that maybe you've got a talent like that who, for whatever reason, no longer clearly feels that Norwich is the best option for their development for whatever reason. And that that feels like a, a bit of a blow. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Pad, really. Yeah, no, no, nothing more really, Connor, but you are right. It, but I mean, you listed one or two others um, who who have since departed. I, I guess that's the you know unless, unless you went away and did some forensic studies about academies in the top two divisions. But it wouldn't surprise me if if that type of churn and turnover is not out of the ordinary. It's just when you get somebody through because we we all know, or at least we have a, a sense of how difficult it is to sift for those sort of gems, and that there's a lot of disappointment for for players who go through and. and Journalists like Michael Calvin have obviously done lots of good stuff about the the downsides of players who who get cast to the side, and um, you know that's that's wholly on the clubs who've who've made decisions that players at certain age groups or certain progression points aren't quite going to reach the levels that they feel they they need, and um, and they they move to the side. And I know clubs certainly nowadays, and that this would apply to Norwich definitely, of the, the the care that goes around those type of players who aren't maybe going to make it at a Norwich or any other club that there are, there are jumping off points and there is that support network. Now I, I think that's definitely improved in terms of the Academy setup, but ultimately it is a business and it's a ruthless business. And um, they, they know all the clubs know Norwich included that if you can produce players good enough to come in and, and operate in your first team and, and push a club on, be it championship level or even Premier League level, you know, the 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 financial element to that in terms of an asset, you know, is well, Norwich have, have made no bones about it and we touched on it in a previous segment. You know, that that ability to to self self generate funds from players you've developed is absolutely essential to a club with Norwich's business model. That's the, the top and bottom of it. And, you know, we go back to Madison and yes, he wasn't one who came through. He he, he was, he was 
developed by Coventry's academy, but it was Norwich where he, he finished his, his sort of development. And if James Madison hadn't departed in that summer of 1718, then, you know, it's not, it's not over, over, overemphasizing the point that, that Norwich financially would have been in a, a very, very dark place. And, and that, that was averted because they developed a player sufficiently that um, a club like Leicester wanted to come along and put down 21, 22 million pounds uh, initially with, with a series of add-ons. Norwich basically were able to embark on what came afterwards on the strength of being able to sell a player um, for the funds that they managed to do for, for James Madison. And we've seen that subsequently less imperative in terms of keeping the wolf from the door, but Jamal Lewis, you know, to, uh, Ben Godfrey, of course, as well. Um, even Buendia, if you want to broaden it out a little bit, you know, that is the business model. And so you, if that is the biz, business model and you understand that, then it's imperative that Norwich continue that cycle and that conveyor of talent. Yes, in the, in the in the immediate term, good enough to come and play in your first team and improve your first team, but always with the the awareness that that one day, um, you know, if they if they do develop as you hope they will and blossom and flourish, that they then will become a tradable asset and and to then lose a player potentially, as it would appear, to to a club like Chelsea. And there will obviously be remuneration involved, but I don't think it will come close to, you know, if they'd brought him all the way through to first team level and then he proved himself at first team level and then he moved on. I think it's safe to say, you know, studies would show that you're never going to get the true market value of a player if they leave at this point of the cycle. That's the frustration. I'm sure huge frustration from Norwich's perspective that it's almost and maybe... Now I think about it, Coventry may have felt the same about Norwich, that, that they developed a James Madison, but it was Coventry. Luton as, Luton as well. Yeah, exactly, with Aarons and, 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 and Lewis. And maybe that's the, the natural order of things, that, that unfortunately there are clubs mm-hmm. who Norwich will have developed players, finished off players who developed elsewhere and reaped the financial rewards. And potentially with a Matos, it'll be Chelsea who, 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 who are the end game in this particular scenario. And that's just, the, as I say, much, much as when Norwich find themselves in the, in the Premier League, particularly the natural order of things, and that's Norwich's place in the natural order. But that doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, it is a frustration, I'm sure, to, to Weber and, and the people who've constructed this model um, because it removes a very, very highly rated commodity, um, both in the short term for Norwich's own first team plans, but also longer term as well. And... You know, the worry for me would be moving forward if this rolls out as as expected now, and 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 this this lad does end up at Chelsea. What signal does that send to a people already in the academy who are looking at that um, and maybe feeling that you know maybe there are other opportunities beyond Norwich for them to continue their footballing and education in terms of the bridge from academy to development to first team football, but also because of the cyclical nature of this, Norwich will be trying to bring players to Norwich and bring players into young players, young highly rated players, much younger age groups, but nevertheless bring them into Norwich's academy. And if their parents or people around them are looking at it and, and seeing that you know Norwich aren't offering that pathway right all the way through to first team, then does it, does it look a, a bit of a negative in terms of the next waves and the next cycle of academy recruitment. That would be my concern. But I guess while it's painful, if it's 
isolated cases we're talking about, that's one thing. You know, if you start to lose more and more players at 16, 17, 18 years of age um, to the elite clubs in this country, then yes, it's a backhanded compliment that you're doing something right at academy level, but ultimately it's something that I'm sure Weber and his and his staff would have to give some serious thought to because they, they very definitely haven't constructed a model whereby they develop talent and identify talent to the age of 17, 18, and thereafter another club gets the benefit for footballing and financial reasons. Yes, absolutely. Um, obviously, we, we, we await confirmation of, of that for absolute sure, but uh, all, all the... Signs, I guess, uh, suggesting that, that Alex Matos uh, will become a Chelsea player at some point. Um, finally, then, then Pad, let's kind of uh, end with with how you see Saturday going. Very difficult game in in reality against Sheffield United in uh, in second. Big game for all of the reasons that we discussed earlier. How do you see it transpiring? What, I, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction because we'll save that for for, for Saturday, and I'll, I'll definitely forget mine in the intervening period and change it four times. So. How do you see that as a as a game going? And uh, and I guess just to reiterate the importance for, for Norwich City. Well, I was just having a look there, Connor, at um, the Blades' last four league games. They've actually lost two of the last four, uh, albeit Blackburn uh, and Luton. So two of the teams who were right there with them in the, in the playoff slash automatic race. Um, so, you know, I know they're having a, they've had a brilliant run in the FA Cup and they've got themselves through to a semi-final now as well. That could you know, potentially be a distraction for them. Not not for this weekend, I don't think necessarily, but um, it is there in the background. And, um, you know, I look at that and I look at that recent form line and, of course, you know, people can say, well, we'll let's look at Norwich's recent form line and post-Millwall, it's it's rank, really, for, for where Norwich were hoping to get to. It's definitely been a reg- regressive cycle. So maybe there's not too much optimism to to be um, sort of mined by looking at Sheffield United's recent league results. But, but nevertheless, you know, I don't, I don't, it's not for me a, a Burnley coming to Carrow Road. It's not even a, maybe a Middlesbrough, um, maybe even a real tough nut to crack in a Luton at the minute. If you look at their results, I think there is, there is an opportunity for Norwich, but not the Norwich we've seen against Sunderland, Huddersfield, Stoke. If that Norwich turns up, then I'm afraid it'll only go the same way. Uh, and that'll be, you know, potentially a defeat at best a draw. I don't see the Norwich of the last three games in the championship being good enough to turn over Sheffield United, who was really in the heat of a, a battle for automatic promotion with Middlesbrough principally. So I just hope that if we get the, the Millwall vintage or the Millwall version, both with and without the ball, and that intensity and that in you know aggressiveness is in their play and the the energy and the physicality and that full throttle um, to, to paraphrase David Wagner's brand of football is is there from from the start to the finish. Then I see Norwich winning the game. But you know, unfortunately, if we look at the recent sample, it's hard to to sort of say. Well, we'll overlook Sunderland, we'll overlook Huddersfield, and we'll overlook Stoke because they're the three most recent games. So you know, again, it's more hope than expectation. But but. I look at Sheffield United recently in the league and when they've come up against the sides in and around them, they've come up short. But, you know, Norwich will have to be far better than they have been in the last three league games if they're going to get that win that it feels like they need to really kickstart this, you know, eight-game stretch. Uh, But in reality, this four-game stretch, which I think will define ultimately how this season plays out. And, um, you know, if, if it goes the other way, then... 
you know, I think I think we'll probably already have the writing on the wall, and 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 all will remain is the confirmation of what we all feel. Then, which is, you know, this group isn't good enough, and uh, it really needs to be broken up and uh, and rebuilt again. And and that's a whole different podcast um, and series of podcasts because I, I think the chances of Norwich being able to do a, a major overhaul for for the financial and footballing reasons in one window are probably unrealistic. So then we get into a debate about how long it's going to take to rebuild it. But uh, we'll, we'll part that one for now. But uh, but yeah, I don't think it's overstating it, as we did earlier, to say this is probably the biggest game of Norwich's season for me. Um, and they need to perform. Simple as that. Where, where Where's your head at then, Connor, for, for Saturday? Yeah, much the same. I think it, it it feels like an important game for the narrative. And and as you say, that how you set up the, the final eight games. So certainly a, an encouraging performance but if they could uh, add a result on top and by result you're probably looking at victory really then, then I think that the dial would shift and, and how people feel about the remaining eight games of this season would be uh, would be drastically different so let's see what we get we're going to be at Carrow Road on Saturday of course for all our usual coverage analysis of that game against Sheffield United uh, absolutely massive as we've said you don't need us to talk it up it's big enough already um, if you yet to do so do uh, do take out a, a free month's trial to, uh, to to the Pink and Plus. You can do that. Plenty of content available over there for you to fulfil all your uh, Norwich City needs during uh, the, the final few dry days before we're back at Colney for David Wagner's press conference uh, on Friday and then obviously back at Carrow on Saturday. Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate your time as ever. And uh, thank you for watching if you did that on YouTube as well. And we'll see you very soon.